Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Then the high priest rose up, and all who were with him, that is, the party of the Sadducees, and filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and put them in the public prison. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, Go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. Speak to the people all the words of this life. In the Gospel of Lucius, a completely fictional lost gospel which I invented for the purposes of this sermon, the story of Jesus' burial and resurrection is recorded for us in a startlingly different way than in the four gospels of the canon. Joseph of Arimathea asks for the body of Jesus, wraps it in linen cloth, and lays Jesus in the tomb. Soon Peter and the other disciples come to the tomb, and they begin to weep when they see the pale and lifeless body of their Lord. After a few moments, however, the Gospel of Lucius describes Peter speaking. What are we accomplishing here with these tears and sorrow? Didn't our Lord say it was necessary that he die and be raised again on the third day? The clock is ticking, and we have work to do. And with that, the disciples spring into action. Andrew hurries to Jerusalem and assembles four of the leading physicians of the city. He encourages them to network together to determine a way to raise Jesus from death. James and John... They assemble a band, a huge group of musicians, reasoning that perhaps if enough joyful and positive energy could be channeled through music, they could restore their Lord's life. Thomas, the skeptic, he doubts these approaches. He says that their biggest obstacle to raising Jesus from the dead is their lack of faith. They need to pray. Pray and pray and pray with perfect faith. Matthew He knew that it was for their sins that Jesus had died. And so perhaps enough repentance could restore him to life. So they networked. And they sang to raise the roof. And they prayed and they repented. And on the third day, Jesus stood up. And he said, thank you, my disciples. You have raised me from the dead. You have given me life. Today, Jesus' followers gather around another new tomb. In the freshly cut rock are inscribed the words, The Church. The corpse has not yet been laid there, but many think it's only a matter of time. Randy does. Randy, in a recent blog on the internet, writes these words. You know, I have studied God, theology, church history, and the Bible. I've done so at one of the finest schools of theological education in this country. But honestly, it took working in the church for me to really learn about evil, as taught firsthand by those who claim to love Jesus. The church is dying, and rightfully so. Certainly there are some who will say that I am off base, But 15 years of ministry among people who claim to love Jesus, follow Jesus, and the like has produced in me nothing but cynicism, disillusionment, and discouragement. 
It would be nice to see some evidence of the fruits of the Spirit every now and then. I guess I can honestly say that I have, but what is discouraging is that the spirit of evil dwells in the midst of good Christian folk in far larger numbers than does the spirit of God. Randy. There are a lot of Randys out there. People who think that the church is dying. People who are not only repentant and sorrowful for the church's many faults, but who are downright fearful that the church cannot survive in contemporary society. And if you want to sit down with the Randys of the world for an hour or two, sip on a cup of coffee and listen to their spiel, you will have to concede that they have the evidence on their side. Numbers are trending down. Randy has read George Barna. Randy can show you the graphs. Randy can quote to you the statistics. Love is growing cold. Randy has seen it with his own eyes. Over 15 years of ministry within the church, among the people of God. Sigmund Freud may be out of fashion in our day with his dark views of human nature, but there's still plenty of cold, hard evidence to be gathered which demonstrates that the successive generations in our country continue to outpace one the next in the extent and the magnitude of their self-absorption and self-centeredness. Generation me, some are calling my generation. The church is dying. Do you fear for your children and your grandchildren? Do you mourn for the countless men and women outside the church perishing in their sins? Do you cry out to God for mercy and divine help? Do you point your finger at other people in the church and say, there they are. It's those people over there. They are the ones who are killing the church. We are good at that. The church is dying. And where will it find Life. Our Baptist and Pentecostal friends speak of revival, a returning of life to the church. They long for revival in the church. They pray for revival in the church. And when they grow tired of longing and praying for revival in the church, they schedule one for the second week of July. You don't hear many Lutherans speak of revival. We don't like that word. Although these days you hear a lot of talk about revitalization. Of the church, which really is a synonym. Why does the church need to be revitalized? Because presumably the church has lost its vitality. In other words, the church is dying. Where will it find life? Men cannot revive the church, we cannot revitalize the church any more than we could have revived the cold, dead body of our Lord Jesus when he was laid in the tomb. The apostles did not raise Jesus from death. That's why the Gospel of Lucius didn't make it into the canon. The apostles did not give life to the body of Jesus. Jesus gives life to the apostles and indeed to his whole body. This is an important distinction. Jesus Christ is life. I am the resurrection and the life, Jesus declares. 
He is the great high priest in the Christian church because he is the one and the only one who bears the power of an indestructible life. God raised Jesus from the dead because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. He has the authority to lay down his life and he has authority to take it up again. This authority he received from his father. Jesus Christ is the living one. He died, but behold, he is alive again forevermore. He holds in his hands the keys of death and Hades. If we need some life in the midst of death, we had best look outside ourselves. As St. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians of his own church struggles, We were burdened excessively beyond our strength, Paul writes, so that we despaired even of life. Indeed, we had the sentence of death within ourselves in order that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. Here in Acts chapter 5, just a little while after that very successful Pentecost day, we find the very same Jewish leaders who orchestrated the death of Jesus, Caiaphas and Annas and company, now orchestrating the death of the church. The apostles are locked in prison. Suddenly, the progress, suddenly, the success of those early days and weeks is in jeopardy. The church is dying. But the Lord of the church was not and is not about to let his church die. The prison doors open, and an angel from heaven says to the apostles, go and stand in the temple courts, speak to the people all the words of this life. Now what is exactly meant by this interesting summary of the apostolic message, the words of this life? Does it mean words which lead to life? Speak the words which give this life? Words which speak about this life? Any of those renderings work pretty well. What precisely is the referent of this life? Is it shorthand for the life that is found in Jesus Christ? In other words, eternal life. Or is it a name for Jesus himself, as many English translations take it, capitalizing with a capital L the word life? Speak all the words of this life. A name for Jesus, who is himself the resurrection and the life. Again, both work pretty well. Whatever precisely is meant by this angelic expression, speak the words of this life. One thing is clear in the book of Acts. The resurrected Jesus is at center stage in the apostolic church. And he will remain there. He is their confidence for the continuance of the church, and for their eternal life. From that first Pentecost day, the apostles proclaimed and continued to proclaim this Jesus God raised up again, to which we are all witnesses. The death of the church, the death which confronts the church, is too real and terrible to be met with the band-aids and placebos of man. Only the God-man can preserve us. 
So let us not look to ourselves in these gray and latter days. Let us not be seduced or deluded into self-sufficiency. Let us look instead for the church's life to Jesus, who is the church's life, to the wonder and joy of Jesus' resurrection and to the work of the living Christ in our midst, bestowing the forgiveness of sins, life, and salvation. God help us, let us boldly proclaim all the words of this life. And the gates of hell will not prevail against us. And these words will never pass away. Amen.